What? College matters. What? College, college matters. matters. Really? For sure. College matters. Alma, Alma matters. But I look back and I remember being really sad and really disappointed that I didn't get them. Mm-hmm. But then I thought back to everything that has happened before and remembered, you know, all of my ancestors and all of their struggles and that at the end of the day, I, if I had won, you know, the Rhodes or the Marshall, I would have been the first Native American to ever win the Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted that. I didn't want that for me. I wanted that for my community. I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted that for all of the people listening right now. I wanted, you know, I wanted to be that for people. And I didn't get it, but that's okay because I also live firmly by the kind of belief that everything happens for a reason. And if it didn't happen, then there's another door that is going to open up. That is Grace Fox, who's double majoring in psychology and ethnicity and race studies for Native American and Indigenous Studies at Columbia University. Hello, I'm your host, Venkat Raman. In high school, Grace was, by her own admission, a nerd and an activist. She took lots of AP classes. She was a teaching assistant for an AP chemistry course. She played the viola, cello, and violin. She was in a number of orchestras. She also played varsity tennis. As an activist, she fought for educational equity and indigenous causes. When time came to think about college, she felt scared and unprepared. That's when a good friend introduced her to matriculate. Grace joins us on our podcast to share her undergraduate experience at Columbia, matriculate's role, the transition to college, Indigenous Causes, Being a Rhodes Finalist, and Advice for High Schoolers. Now, before we jump into the podcast, here are the high fives. Five highlights from the podcast. Then I stepped foot on Columbia's campus, and it was gorgeous and sunny and beautiful And I looked around at all of these buildings and, you know, all of these students who looked like they were working so hard, which they were, (laughs) because I realized looking back, that was midterm season in the fall. And just being, just thinking to myself, I want to be like them. I want to go here. This is where I belong. And this is where I need to be. And I'm doing, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be here. I really needed help and I wasn't getting it from school. And so matriculate, when I finally got paired, I got paired with my advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, she went to Notre Dame. She was wonderful. And she met with me weekly, despite being on a study abroad. I think it was in London. Mm-hmm. But that being said, she fought the time difference and made me a priority. We worked mm-hmm. through everything together. Of course, academics were tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. I had gone from public Oklahoma education high school to one of the best most leading institutions in the world and thinking wow this is hard and I'm just a freshman I'm in you know basic 101 classes and this is really difficult but I through the confidence I found in myself I 
learned how to ask for help, which was something I don't think I did very often in high school. And so as the Native American Justice Fellow for Project Rousseau, I had the wonderful opportunity of working directly with the Pine Ridge Reservation and the Rosebud Indian Reservation and worked directly as a liaison to a whole bunch of students from those two reservations. Mm -hmm. And I was a college advisor for them. And regardless of where you end up, regardless of what you do, it's a path that's incredibly scary, but I hope that people like me and people like Madeline and all those who work at Matriculate and people like all of those who work at Pro Project Rousseau and you, Venkat, I hope that your students can all learn to rely on us and see us as beacons of hope and you know, come to us for help and come to us for support. But that is my biggest piece of advice for any student today is that you can do it. These were the high fives brought to you by College Matters. Alma Matters. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For my newsletter, visit almamatters.substack.com. Now, I'm sure you want to hear the entire podcast with Grace. So without further ado, here is Grace Fox. So if you're ready, uh, we can jump right in. Of course. Cool. So let's start with an overall impression of your Columbia experience so far. Yeah, so Columbia has been quite the whirlwind, you know, going through a pandemic that took away kind of a year and a half to two years and, mm -hmm. you know, pulling through and virtual school teacher strikes, all of that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it has been one of the most rewarding and wonderful experiences I've had the privilege of having. I, you know, started my Columbia experience in the fall of 2019, and mm -hmm. I'll be finishing up this May 2023. Mm -hmm. And I am very, very happy that I've been able to make the most wonderful friends here, find such a strong community in some of the organizations I've been a part of, some of the departments I've worked with. And really going from there, I, I've had a great experience. I can't say the same for everybody. And I know I'm very privileged to have been able to go through, you know, a pandemic and find a home at virtual school and still really work to build that community going through and coming back in fall of 2021, my junior year, mm -hmm. and being able to kind of reintegrate in a way that was still surrounded and contextualized by COVID, but in a way that was reminding me of my freshman year when everything was normal, at, or for the most, you know, for the first six, sure. part, six months. Um, but overall, my Columbia experience has been, has been great, and it's been one for the memory books, and I can't wait to move on from here and reflect back in a few years to see how my perception has changed, how to see, you know, how Columbia has changed in the next few sure. years, and sure. how both I and the institution move forward. Tell us a little bit about why you picked Columbia or how you came to pick Columbia. Yes, of course. So Columbia had always been my dream, or I should say New York City has always been my dream. Growing mm -hmm. up in Oklahoma, um, rural place, very, you know, spread out, not much to do. Mm -hmm. I had always dreamed of going somewhere bigger and having something more. And maybe that's on me for just being restless and adventurous, 
or mm-hmm. maybe that's something a little bit deeper. But I had always dreamed of going to a big city, you know, trying everything new, finding myself and establishing myself there. And I ultimately decided on Columbia when I went on an orchestra trip my freshman year of high school to New York City. We did mm-hmm. all of the touristy things. We, you know, went to the Empire State Building and Times Square and NYU and all of those places. And I fell in love with the city. I was like, this is where I want to be. There's so much diversity, so much culture, so much, you know, personality and things to do and people to see and questions to explore. And I fell in love with that kind of adventurous and like nature and that kind of just possibility. Mm-hmm. And my junior year of high school, after I had begun with matriculate, which I'll tell you a little bit about later, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my father and I came to New York City for a college tour. We visited mm-hmm. NYU and Columbia. I liked NYU. It was cool, but it was campusless and a little bit spread out and sporadic. Right. And then I stepped foot on Columbia's campus and it was gorgeous and sunny and beautiful. And I looked around at all of these buildings and, you know, all of these students who looked like they were working so hard, which they were, <laughs> because I realized looking back, that was midterm season in the fall. Right. And just being, just thinking to myself, I want to be like them. I want to go here. This is where I belong and this is where I need to be. And I'm doing, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be here. And so jump to a few years when I'm doing my college application process and Columbia is actually my second on my list. I put NYU first and I put Columbia second because Mm -hmm. in my heart and in my soul, I believed that I wasn't good enough to go to Columbia. I Mm. thought Columbia was the place for, you know, remarkable people, scholars, all of, all of these unattainable things. And Mm -hmm. little did I realize that maybe I was part of, that too. Um, And so upon receiving a likely letter, which is really, really rare to get at an Ivy League institution um, Uh early in like February, and then getting my official acceptance while on a trip in Chicago um, with that, you know, welcome to Columbia. We're so happy to have you. I was astounded and I I still think back to that day and I have a recording of myself opening (laughs) up that email and I think to myself in a time where everything was going really really wrong in my life I was struggling with a lot of personal issues a lot Uh of family tension um a lot of bullying at school frankly where my life was really really rough and I was incredibly unhappy I look Mm -hmm. back and I watch that video and I think that Columbia in that moment was was something that made me smile and like giggle like a little girl. And that is something that I'll always, I'll always treasure. And that's kind of the process of how I fell in love with Columbia, how I fell in love with New York City, and how I decided that this was the place that I was going to end up at. Talk a little bit about matriculate. I mean, I, I'm assuming that somewhere in that time frame you uh, worked with them and um, Also, anything else you can share about uh, your general state of mind? Yes, of course. So I began with matriculate, I believe it's been a long time. So, you know, messy timeline. But I believe I began with matriculate in after my junior year in the summer before my senior year of high school. And Mm -hmm. at that point, I was behind. Most people Mm -hmm. join matriculate quite a bit earlier than that in their junior year 
just so they can get prepared with test prep and other things like that. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I didn't know about matriculate. I actually was referred to matriculate by one of my really good friends, Yewan Lee, who mm-hmm. went off to USC, is now an accountant doing some wonderful things. Mm-hmm. But she saw my struggle and was like, I think you should join this program. It's for high achieving, low income high school seniors, high school juniors, and it really helps extraordinary people get to extraordinary places. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and I was like, do you think that would work for me? And she was like, let me help you. And we signed up together. Mm-hmm. I opened you know, my little laptop at the time and filled out the, the form and was hoping to get paired. They run through a questionnaire, you know, an income thing, a few other you know, demographic questions. Yeah. And I signed up and I was really hoping to get in because you know, my parents were privileged enough to go to college, but at the same time, so much has changed between when they went to college and when I was going to college. Everything for them was on paper. Everything for me was digital. I had never heard of the Common App, never heard of College Board outside of AP exams. I was lost and scared and terrified that I wouldn't be able to figure it out. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I had really no support coming from a high school that had 500 in my graduating senior class. Mm -hmm. Our counselors didn't, weren't involved in the college process. Mm -hmm. And in fact, my college, well, you know, my, my college counselor spelled my name wrong, which is funny because it's Grace Fox, um, which is pretty straightforward on her recommendation letter for me. And also said that I had done all of these accomplishments in violin when in fact I had done them on viola. And so it was just one of those things. I feel like that's very indicative of the way that it was no fault of hers, but really on the underfunding of public schools and how much teachers and how much counselors have to, you know, deal with and work towards to make sure these students are successful. And so that was one of the first breaches in public education funding and, you know, systems I had seen. But at that same time, I really needed help and I wasn't getting it from school. And so matriculate, when I finally got paired, I got paired with my advisor. Mm -hmm. Um, She went to Notre Dame. She was wonderful. And she met with me weekly despite being on a study abroad. I think it was in London. But Mm -hmm. that being said, she fought the time difference and made me a priority. We worked Mm -hmm. through everything together. She, you know, I, of course, was testing on my own by that point, had had my my test come back and already be positive um, for my ACTs. But at that point, I was really trying to learn how to work the Common App, how to work with essays, a balanced college list. And I had to crash course essentially everything that students do to apply for college, starting after most of the people started doing that for college. And ultimately, she walked through me with the entire process. I credit Emily to being one of the most monumental people in my journey because I, uh, she told me about the scholarship list and said, oh, Grace, I think you need to apply to these. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I was like, oh, this is a lot of, you know, a lot of names on this list. I don't right. think I can apply to them. I'm, you know, balancing a full-time job. I'm going to school. I'm doing orchestra before and after school. I'm doing tennis, all of working for like a whole bunch of organizations and TAing. And so I thought to myself, there's no way I can apply to all of these. And Emily, um, she was like, I think you can. And if not, then just do these. And so I looked at the shorter list she gave me and the number one at the top of the page was the Gates Scholarship. Yeah. And 
I was like, okay, I can apply for this. And I started that process. I believe it was July or August of 2018. You Mm -hmm. have to start. It's a full year process. And I began that and had her proofread my things, my essays, my questionnaire. And she was lovely in helping me with that. But ultimately, skip to March after multiple forms being sent in, multiple interviews in person at that time, which was insane. um, I was notified while working a morning shift at my coffee shop job that I was a recipient of the Bill and Melinda Gates scholarship. Awesome. And yeah. I was shocked. I burnt myself with steam um, <laughs> because I was not navigating the espresso machines the way I was supposed to be when secretly checking my phone during work, seeing yeah. that email and being uncontrollably overjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. At that point, I had already known that I got into Columbia. However, yeah. because Columbia is a private institution and goes off the CSS profile instead of the FAFSA, there was a demarcation in what Columbia believed I could pay, which is one of my biggest qualms with the institution and what the government believed that I could pay. And the government was much more correct about what I could pay, which was close to nothing. Um, But Columbia pulls from a different set of guidelines and expected me to pay a whole bunch that I could never afford. So Mm -hmm. without the Gates scholarship, I would have not been able to go to Columbia despite getting in, despite getting a likely letter, despite being, you know, inducted as a Kluge Scholar, which is a prestigious, you know, award for incoming freshmen that lasts throughout their senior year. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified until I got that letter from Gates saying, you got this. And a whole bunch of people applied. I think it was around 30,000 um, people wow. finally went through the process and 300 made it. And I am so honored to say that I am one of those 300 people in cohort two, the second year of the Bill and Melinda Gates scholarship, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Amazing. This is fantastic. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm still shocked when I retell the story. I, I think to myself, there's no way there's no way this happened, but it did. And here I am still being so thankful for the Gates scholarship and still being so thankful that I, you know, despite all of my challenges of my senior and junior year of high school and all of the personal pain and things I was going through, I was able to find enough confidence in myself through the support of Matriculate to say, hey, maybe I can do this and went through with the applications, ultimately was successful in my Columbia application. I also got into Dartmouth um northwestern man it's been a long time a few other schools that i was really proud of Mm -hmm. um but columbia had been my dream and i'm so honored that i got to you know be an admitted student to columbia and then ultimately be awarded the bill and melinda gates scholarship which is a full scholarship that covers everything tuition room board travel transportation winter clothes for students moving from hot climates to cold climates um, health insurance, things like that. And I'm incredibly privileged because of the Gates Foundation for that. Um, moving forward, Matriculate really supported me with, you know, celebrating and being proud of my accomplishments and moving forward with accepting the scholarship and even into the process of moving into college and yeah. of asking, you know, my mentor, what do I do? What do I bring? I don't know what to bring to a dorm. Am I overpacking? Am I underpacking? What do I bring? <laughs> and, you know, at the time she was wonderful in helping me through that. And so 
today I really am grateful for matriculate and all that they've done for my college journey. I couldn't be here without them. And I really credit a lot of matriculate to, you know, me being so successful today and me being happy with where I am. And I think back to the times where I wasn't so happy and wasn't so confident. And I do think matriculate had a big impact in the way that I see myself, the way I Mm -hmm. see academia, the way I see education, and has been a big inspiration in me pursuing educational equity going forward. So let's uh, rewind a little bit. Uh, Talk about your high school. What what kind of person were you in high school? What were your interests? What, um, What were you like? Yeah, it's crazy to think about this because once again, it was almost five years ago, right? Uh, Four years ago, now that I'm a a graduating senior at Columbia, and four years ago, I was a graduating senior at Edmund Memorial High School in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And thinking back to who I was, I was a big nerd. Um, Uh (laughs) I loved loved learning, and I still do. I Uh loved school. I was one of those kind of goody two-shoes who did all of the AP classes. I was a TA for my favorite AP chemistry teacher. Um, Mm -hmm. because I had an extra hour in the day. And instead of deciding to go home early, I wanted to be a TA for my chemistry teacher and work in Uh the lab and do fun things. I was a, and still am, a violist and Mm. an orchestral musician that I'm very proud of. And in high school, I also picked up violin and cello. I was a huge orchestra person. And I spent my senior year three to four hours a day you know, being involved with orchestra, playing, playing wow. instruments, um, whether it be being in three orchestras, I was in the uh, symphonic orchestra, the chamber orchestra and the string orchestra, all playing three different instruments in each one. So mm-hmm. three hours of school day was orchestra because I had finished all of my requirements, but didn't feel like going home and doing nothing. So I wanted to do something that would contribute to my, you know, my, my future contribute to my, you know, you know, neural building. And so that's what I did. I also worked a full-time job. I worked at a coffee shop um, near my house and worked really, really early or really, really late. So on top of that, I also did tennis. I played varsity tennis for a few years in high school. I did competitions, a whole bunch of things like that. I also did competitions for orchestra, Uh, Mm -hmm. played in the state orchestra, did, you know, the Oklahoma Youth Orchestra, all of these were really prestigious opportunities that I had to audition for multiple, multiple times. Mm -hmm. And I'm incredibly proud of those. But I also did the same for tennis. And I was also interested in social activism and being an advocate for my community. At that time, rewinding a year from my senior year, but it was my junior year, so about April 2018, that I got really, really involved in educational equity, which mm-hmm. I'm still very passionate about today, mm-hmm. um, during teacher walkouts and teacher strikes. In April 2018, Oklahoma Public Schools was going through a crisis. Teachers mm-hmm. were paid less than gas station workers, despite mm-hmm. having and you know, two degrees, including a master's and certifications. Yeah. Um, they were being underfunded, the classrooms were falling apart, teachers were not respected as professionals, yet Mm -hmm. putting so much time and effort towards making sure that what the students could have was what they could provide. And I think that was a wonderful moment, having such wonderful professors or teachers at the time 
and seeing them dedicate their livelihoods and their own personal time and funds to making sure that us students were successful. I mm -hmm. think that was a moment that made me see a, a, a dissonance between what the people on the ground were providing and what the state and government was providing for mm -hmm. these, the resources for these professionals. Mm -hmm. And when teachers, you know, said, we're going to strike, we're going to walk out of the classrooms, we're going to rally at the Capitol building in Oklahoma City, and we are going to stay there as long as it takes until change is done until we get funding for our classrooms, until we get a pay grade, like raise, until we yeah. get insurance, until we get, you know, more materials and more funding and resources and allow us to have more energy for our students, we're not leaving. And as a student at the time, I totally agreed with the cause. I had seen how much work my professors put in yeah. and, or my teachers at the time put in and I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to be a part of this. And I didn't know how many students were going to show up, but I knew I was going to be one of them. Mm -hmm. And so freshly out of my driver's license, I had just turned 16 at the time. Yeah. I begged my mom to drive her car and I would go to the Capitol building in Oklahoma City every day for two weeks while teachers were demonstrating during that time. I met with legislators. I made signs, I walked around the building, I made sure teachers and students were being fed, I helped fund and kind of organize a um, like arts performance showcase to show how much that teachers were integral in the success of students. And mm -hmm. that was one of my first instances of organizing and community building. And, you know, I've continued to go further than that today. But that was one of the first things I credit as you know learning how to be a community organizer and learning how to make an on the ground difference and showcase you know wonderful people who have had their voices stolen by something larger and uncontrollable and so during that time you know i started and co-founded an organization called student voices united for education with a few other students and in that organization we worked to work with legislators um, have meetings with you know oklahoma senators Oklahoma government officials, news mm -hmm. organizations, nonprofits, pretty much anybody who would listen to us and really advocated for teacher funding and for public school education funding. And so that was also something I was really passionate, passionate about as a high school student was social justice, activism, and changing the status quo. I, at, even at the young age of 16, I was tired with the way things were and wanted to make a difference. And through, you know, through different opportunities, whether it be through orchestra or tennis or social justice or just being nerdy in, in my own free time, volunteering and working for Edmond Public Schools Indian Education, where I was an ACT and SAT and professional development tutor for mm -hmm. months at a time to help students who needed the help and who were disenfranchised by, you know, the public school system or because of their you know, demographics or upbringing as Indigenous students mm -hmm. in Edmond, make sure they could have the same opportunities for success that I did. And with that being said, I was a busy bee in high school. I slept way less than I should have as a growing up, you know, teenager. And, but I also did a lot more than I think anyone ever expected of me. And that's something I'm really proud of is being able to look back and be proud of the change that I started at such a young age 
as someone who is an advocate and someone who is outspoken for communities, um, someone who is engaged with theirs, someone who wants to make a difference in the world and is fighting to do so every single day. And so that's what I was like in high school. And I'm really proud. I think the girl in high school, the high school Grace Fox would be really proud of the college Grace Fox and the Grace Fox who's gonna graduate Columbia and work as a professional beyond. Awesome, I mean, makes my head spin just thinking of the things you were doing. Um, it's just amazing. Now, I don't know what you do for an encore in college, but we'll get to that in a second. So what was... <laughs> What, what was that transition to, uh, to Columbia like then from this, you know, really hectic place yeah. you set in high oh school? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, I'm thinking back to it and uh, just processing. Man, I was excited, but I was so, so nervous. I remember flying with my family to New York. They were helping me with move-in my, before my sure. freshman year, before this program called the New Student Orientation Program, which we call NSOP. Um, so if mm -hmm. I dropped NSOP, that's what it is. Um, mm -hmm. But I remember being scared out of my mind, but also because I had a pretty, you know, socially and in high school, I was bullied really, really bad towards the end of my junior and senior year. And that's something I left out about what my high school experience was like. But I was going through a really, really awful time um, mentally, physically. It was impact. The bullying was impacting the way of life, my mm -hmm. quality of life. And mm -hmm. it was getting to the point where having to pursue external support, um, mm -hmm. either, you know, from the principal, from mental health professionals, and almost from a police department, just because it was it was getting really, really bad. And I was struggling. But that really set a contextualizing force for how I went into Columbia. Mm -hmm. I was scared from my experience of high school because my best friends had become my bullies. Mm -hmm. um, and I was scared that the same would happen again at Columbia. I, I know thinking back that that was somewhat irrational. I was going to a new place and having a new beginning. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I couldn't really separate the, the, the fear and the pain of what had just happened to me for a year and a half mm -hmm. from the, the new four years that I was about to experience. Yeah, but I was I forced myself to be brave. And I remember sitting outside eating breakfast on the steps of Columbia um, with my mom. And we were talking and she was looking at me and it was sunny and really pretty outside. And it was move in day. That was the day I was going to get my CUID. And yeah. that was the day I was going to get to see my dorm room for the first time. And she looked at me and she said, this is not that, you know, she's like, this is a new beginning and it's not gonna be high school again. And I don't know how she sensed my nervousness. I think that's probably just a mom thing and something you yeah. get when you have kids. Yeah. Um, but that was what I needed to hear. I needed to hear someone tell me that it was gonna be different and that I was gonna be okay. And you know, every student has those nervous jitters of like, oh, how am I going to reinvent myself? How am I going to be a, you know, a student in a new place, far away from family, all of that. Yeah. But from that moment, from the moment my mom told me it was going to be different. And she said it with such conviction and such belief. And mm -hmm. she looked at me with such pride. I knew it was going to be different. And I didn't care what kind of manifestations I had to do to make that happen. It was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, 
I integrated. I fully threw myself into being open to new experiences and not being closed off and suspicious of when people were being kind to me. I was someone who pursued, you know, relationships and pursued friendships and wanted to put myself out there because I knew that this was a new beginning and these were new people. And I was so, so excited to be the first person from and the only person from my high school class who was going to Columbia and Mm. it was a wonderful experience during the new student orientation program I made some of the best friends who I call my best friends today and live right next to in my Mm -hmm. dorm room (laughs) because they were people who made me feel safe and loved and wanted and included and I remember thinking to myself I had to go through what I went through so I could recognize that this is what real is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very good kind of, you know, analogy for how my experience at Columbia has been. Just realizing that this is different and I, this is what I make of it. <laughs> and sure. I know this is getting really abstract here, but my, tr- the transition to be from my high school to Columbia experience was a lot smoother than I think many people's were. Once I had the confidence in myself that I knew I was going to be all right and that mm-hmm. I was go- this Columbia was going to be what I made of Columbia, right. I really just took off like a firework with so much confidence and so much joy of being in a new place, being following my dreams. And that transition was fairly easy. I, I joke about it now, but as a senior, I have a lot more homesickness and, you know, <laughs> for my parents and for my for Oklahoma than I ever did as a freshman. But that I think having that confidence and having that support from my family and from my newfound friends and from, you know, everybody who has sent me off with well wishes in Oklahoma really set a good platform and a pathway for me to succeed at Columbia. Of course, academics were tough Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I had gone from public Oklahoma education high school to one of the best, most leading institutions in the world and thinking, wow, this is hard. And I'm just a freshman. I'm in, you know, basic 101 classes. And this is really difficult. But I through the confidence I found in myself, I learned how to ask for help, which was something I don't think I did very often in high school, was Mm -hmm. ask for help and admit that I was struggling and admit I needed, you know, assistance and that I wasn't perfect in so many things. And instead of fearing that lack of perfection, learning to grow through that and saying, hey, I will find someone who is a lot better at this than me and rely on them and have them teach me and, you know, push myself to be better. Fear, not fear change, but embrace it. And so I, you know, made it through my freshman year or through the fall of my freshman year with, you know, pretty good grades. I was very proud of myself. My dad had joked, C's get degrees. And Uh I was like, I'm not going to get C's. (laughs) And he's like, but if you do, we would still be very proud of you. And I think my parents are integral supporters, like are integral in my process of learning how to be supported. Mm -hmm. Um, And then professors, I had met some of the most wonderful professors here at Columbia. Many were so invested in our academic process and our success. I was applying to a whole bunch of things as a freshman and I was in no abundance of finding recommendation letters. My professors were so, so sweet, even though Mm -hmm. I was in their courses that may have been just general courses or, you know, other things like that. Um, And I made some, I was really good friends with a lot of my professors from early on in my career. And I still talk to many of them 
um, who are off doing great things now with their with their PhDs and their research. Um, but that being said, spring of my freshman year was a semester that I was not prepared for, and I don't mm-hmm. think anybody in their right mind was prepared for. Mm-hmm. In March of 2020, I think I don't even need to say it, but right after my birthday in February, I had one week, and then we got notification that things were going downhill with this new unknown virus, and mm-hmm. it was spreading really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And I remember checking my phone. I distinctly remember this. It's insane. Checking my phone and seeing a, a New York Times post that said mm-hmm. the first detected case of the coronavirus has been detected in the United States and in New York City. And mm-hmm. at that point, I freaked out. I, I was freaking out. My friends were freaking out. We were thinking, what does this mean for school? What does this mean for where we're living? Like, And at the time, we were all thinking, okay, you know, we're thinking the worst case scenario. It's not going to be that bad. It's going to be a flu. We will be on spring break for two weeks, and then we'll come back and, you know, pick up the semester right where we left off and continue on. Mm -hmm. And that was not the case at all. My friend and I went to Colorado. My parents wanted to celebrate, um, you know, my first year of being at Columbia by going back to a place we had lived, which was Colorado. And Mm -hmm. we went, and at that time, before spring break, the university had sent us an email saying, we're fine, proceed as normal, go on spring break, you're expected to be back for classes, you know, everything like that. So we thought, okay, it's fine. I flew to Colorado. That was the last time I've ever been on a plane without a mask. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And I (laughs) was there for less than 24 hours. I, we landed in Colorado on around, you know, 6 p.m. Um, on like a Friday. And by Saturday morning at around 5 a.m., my phone was blowing up and I was like, what is going on? And we had an email from the university saying, you have until Monday to like Monday night to move everything out. We are evacuating campus. You need to leave. Wow. <laughs> And I looked at my, I ran to my parents' room and shook them awake and was like, we're getting kicked out. We have to leave. And my parents are like, what? We just got to Colorado. You just left New York. What is going on? Yesterday, they sent an email saying everything was fine. And now they're saying everything is not fine. What are we Mm -hmm. doing? And so as a freshman, I had to be the most resilient person I think (laughs) I've ever been. And my parents and I were like, okay, well, we can't get flights until tomorrow, Sunday. We, like, it's impossible to get flights. We will book one for tomorrow to get us back to New York from Colorado. And Mm -hmm. until then, we might as well enjoy the last couple, like, last couple hours, um, like, one last good day before we joked at the time that it was the apocalypse. And so we were like, (laughs) one last good day before the apocalypse. And we just kind of, you know, went hiking and all those good things. And I remember thinking to myself and talking to my friend from Columbia who went with me and just looking at him and saying, I'm scared. And he's like, I know you are. I'm scared too. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, do you think we're going to get to stay? And he looked at me with these like sad, sad eyes. And I, he didn't even have to say it, but I knew he was thinking no. And we flew back to New York the next day. And in 24 hours, 
from being there on Sunday, I had moved my entire new life out of the Columbia dorm, mm-hmm. out of my Hartley, my little Hartley home, and had it all packed away and put into storage and drove, like flew back home with my mom. And mm-hmm. so in the span of a few days as a freshman, my whole life had flipped on its head again. And, you know, this jumps back to a conversation where my mom had told me at the beginning of the year during, you know, move-in, things are going to be different here. Little did I know things were going to be very different here. (laughs) (laughs) And I I thought to myself, I'm going to handle this better than I handled, you know, handled everything the first time. Right. That was not a two-week spring break. That was, um, you know, a two-year spring break. Yeah. And not a break at all, but one of, you know, the most, you know, horrifying times we've seen in our lifetime. And hopefully one of the last horrifying you know, timelines I've seen, I will see in my lifetime. Um, But that being said, that was my freshman year. That was my transition from high school to college. And (laughs) everything from there has been just a showcasing of resiliency and highlighting, highlighting change and struggle, but trying to go through it with a smile on my face and trying to keep a good perspective and move forward with strength and being true to myself and knowing when to ask for help. A lot of these are the skills that I got to learn during the first six months of my Columbia career um, as a freshman. And I'm really glad I get to carry those to today because I don't think without those skills that I was able to, you know, crash course, develop my first six months here at Columbia, I don't think I would have made it through the pandemic the same way that I did um, with those skills. And I don't think I'd be the same person today that I would have been without them you know you were involved in native american justice uh the the indigenous academy what is that about yeah 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 so uh, for so i am a huge proponent for native american justice educational equity mental health services um and that is what i want to do with my career i want to be an advocate for my community i want to work at the intersection of education, indigenous sovereignty, and mental health and public health. Mm-hmm. And through that, I found a lot of opportunities at Columbia through like in other nonprofit organizations to f- further my research, to further my involvement in, in working towards a better future for indigenous peoples across the United States and beyond. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, the program you're referring to is through a internship I found through Columbia and Mm -hmm. I got it through the Navab Fellowship I believe Mm -hmm. um, which is you know a fully funded summer and they provide you with some like professional development some funding anyways I worked at Project Rousseau which is a nonprofit here in New York City Mm -hmm. that works to you know increase educational equity increase um, you know funding and services for low-income or disenfranchised students Mm-hmm. who want to per, you know pursue higher education and or who are excited like who want to go forward and don't have the support that they need to. And so as the Native American Justice Fellow for Project Rousseau, I had the wonderful opportunity of working directly with the Pine Ridge Reservation and the Rosebud Indian Reservation and worked directly as a liaison to a whole bunch of students from those two reservations. Mm-hmm. And I was a college advisor for them. 
And so what I did was get them involved. Some of them were as young as, you know, sophomores in high school during the time. Some of them were seniors during the time. But my job and my role was to really just give these students a timeline, give these students a kind of um, like a pathway forward that was tangible and that they could see was possible. And it wasn't some pipe dream. It was something real. And it was mm-hmm. something that they could see. And they saw me as their, as their Native American you know, advisor advising them saying, you can do this. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where representation is really important is Mm -hmm. because they saw me, a Native American student from Oklahoma defying the odds. And they thought as indigenous students from South Dakota, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. And so through my work, I did, you know, everything from fundraising and distributing donations to the two reservations um, through like Amazon servers and I did direct college advising. So I would meet with probably about 30 students every week, once a week. And I would keep track of all of those students. I would go through their progress, their work, what we needed to work on, what they were excited for, proofreading essays, working on college lists, encouraging students to get involved with their high schools or their cultural activities. And through that was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. I made such wonderful friendships with all of these students. And many of them are still in contact with me today, outside of Project Rousseau, but just as friends, Mm -hmm. to just ask for my advice and update me on their lives. And I think that is such a wonderful part of being an educator, is getting to see my students succeed. And through Project Rousseau, I had the opportunity to travel to Washington, D.C. for the first time. Mm-hmm. I was leading a whole bunch of the students that I had worked with virtually around Washington, D.C. through a special program hosted by Project Rousseau mm-hmm. to expose them to history, expose them to the foundations of, you know, the United States, mm-hmm. and but look at it through a decolonial lens, look at it through an indigenized lens, look at, mm-hmm. look at it through a a disenfranchised lens and kind of break down this narrative that everything was perfect and, you know, egalitarian and philosophical and notice and recognize and explore the ideas that the United States was built on stolen land and was built by stolen bodies. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the first times for a lot of my students, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, who had heard that from someone that they respected and heard Mm -hmm. that from an educator. And Mm -hmm. that goes back to, once again, my passion with public education and educational equity and critical race theory and, you know, critical or um, comparative ethnic studies Mm -hmm. is just this idea of creating accessibility and of, you know, disseminating truth and disseminating non-white supremacist narratives about our history. And that was something that I got to do and I got to see in my students' eyes when I was telling them the truth and telling them indigenous history and telling them black history and being able to share and seeing them become passionate about something, seeing them start to criticize in their own minds what they had always been taught not to criticize. And Mm -hmm. I think seeing their their passions through our trip at Washington DC and meeting with professionals and lawyers and indigenous, you know, leaders in, in government and Black leaders in government was such a wonderful experience for these students and a wonderful experience for me. Mm-hmm. I, that fundamentally changed the way I see education and the way I see direct impact, mm-hmm. and which is something that I got to first experience with Matriculate and something I intend to contribute beyond my time at Columbia. 
You also did advising uh, with uh, the matriculate, right? You you kind of yes. were giving back in some sense. So what was that experience like? Of course. From the first moment, I think back to my time at the Gates Scholarship, um, like kind of, what's it called? Like the Gates Scholarship, we had like a meeting where all of the Gates Scholars went to Dallas, um, recipients of the scholarship went to Dallas, and we had kind of a week-long um, teaching seminar, you know, onboarding, thing like that. And one of the things that I remember most from there is one of the leaders of the Gates Foundation saying, when you can, pay it forward and pay it back. Mm -hmm. And pay it forward, pay it back has been a phrase that has existed in my mind ever since hearing it. Mm -hmm. I think I was confused at the first time. Like, what does that mean? Like, I know pay it forward. Like, right. Like someone do, does something nice for you. You, you continue the nice thing for someone else. Sure, sure. Pay it back part. The pay it back part was the, you know, the little phrase that I had not been familiar with. And, you know, the people at the Gates scholarship proceeded to emphasize that the pay it back part is yes, pay it forward. But when you can, and when you are in a position of power, and when you are in a position of success, and you've, you know, been able to go far because of the, the Gates Scholarship, or because of other, you know, external factors that you've had in your life that have allowed you to succeed, use mm -hmm. those same privileges to give back and pay it back to the communities that made sure you could succeed. Mm -hmm. And I loved that idea. And that was something that I wanted to do as soon as I came to Columbia after the, you know, Gates Scholarship um, conference. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I saw was, a, you know, on, on the Instagram, on, yeah, on Instagram, right before I came to Columbia was a matriculate, you know, flyer. And it was like, we're looking for new advising fellows, which are the advisors in the matriculate yeah. process, high school fellows, which I had also been when I was a high school student are the students mm -hmm. who are advised by the advising fellows. So that's kind of yeah. the lingo. Um, yeah. But that being said, um, I wanted to pay it back. I had paid it forward and I wanted to continue to pay it forward and pay it back this time. So I joined Matriculate as an advising fellow my freshman year and I learned how to be the other side of the coin. Of course I had been the, the advisee, but now I was learning to be the advisor. And th through that process, I learned what it took to be an advisor and learned that my, it was so much more than what I had expected. They, mm -hmm. We went through hours and hours of training. You had to pass exams. You had to um, be able to go through, you know, files and files of curriculum to make sure that your students would succeed. And at the time, you would have about two to three students um, per year. And so that's, you, your responsibility is two to three students and their success and their you know, their college education pathway. And so what I wanted to do was get involved. And so I did. Um, from the beginning, I worked with Madeline, um, the CEO and founder and a few other workers um, and employees at Matriculate to make sure that this dream could be a success for a lot of these students. And mm -hmm. I participated. I was so proud of this. They did wonderful things. I nurtured them from creating a balanced college list to mm -hmm. going from things like um, learning how to research schools, learning how to fill out a FAFSA and a CSS, learning how to create a resume and a cover letter and 
you know, develop their common app to represent what they thought of themselves and what they were proud of themselves for. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. matriculate was wonderful and is wonderful in ensuring that these students have the resources and have the access that they need to be successful, um, especially within a college you know, application process. And I've had mm -hmm. students who went on to the best colleges. I've had students, one of my, one of my um, advising, like high school fellows went to Harvard on a full ride scholarship and had gone through so, so many challenges in her life, but always kept a positive outlook. And I was inspired by her and continue to, you know, implement her thought process in mine every day. And some of my other students realized that, no, college isn't for me right now. And mm -hmm. I'm just as proud of those students as I am for the students who went to Harvard and Yale and, you know, California and wherever they wanted to go. I'm just as proud of those students who realized that college is not for me right now, but in a few years, I'm going to revisit this process with a clearer head and a more, you know, available schedule and I'm going to do this. And I'm just as proud of them because the whole journey matriculate wants us to go through and wants us to spread to our high school fellows is that they're going to be okay we want to establish self-confidence we want to establish them being active proponent proponents of change in in their lives in their careers in their educational pathways and i'm so honored to be able to work with matriculate um, as an advising fellow as mm -hmm. a high school fellow before that and later on in you know, fall of 2020 as a student support intern for Matriculate. So I've gotten to see all aspects of Matriculate, um, whether it be through advising, whether it be through working for them, whether it be through um, being an advocate for the nonprofit through fundraising and other events. And I'm, I'm so excited that I've been able to be a part of this and that they've welcomed me with open arms and had me as, has a, rep as a representative of Matriculate. I'm not surprised at all that they would welcome you. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> Let me ask you this. So you're majoring in psychology, right? Um, yes. How did you arrive at that or how did you choose that? Yeah, so I'm now actually I'm double majoring in psychology and ethnicity and race studies for Native American and indigenous studies on a pre-law track. Okay. And yes, that is a mouthful. Um, but I entered college studying psychology and I loved it. I loved learning how people think, learning how to um, help those with mental illness. As someone who struggles with a lot of mental health problems myself, I wanted to make sure that those in disenfranchised communities, particularly indigenous and Native American communities, would have the active research, have the resources and have the assistance from an indigenous psychologist that was needed. And mm -hmm. so I really wanted to engage through psychology with a kind of like an ethnic studies um, approach through a kind of like representation and indigenous approach. Of course, modern medicine is wonderful, but there are also lots of indigenous approaches and mm -hmm. cultural differences that make, make some things not quite, like not quite um, blend. And so what I wanted to do yeah. was create excess, increased accessibility for um, those needing psychological services and make that less stigmatized and more accessible and you just, just more, um, more available. I think a, whole, you know, a lot of my community has suffered from generational trauma, from you know, legacies of, of torture and enslavement and genocide and forced removal and boarding schools. And one of the things I wanted to do was make sure that 
I could be someone representing them in the psychology field and creating pathways and programs and research that would benefit indigenous communities in the long run. And so I loved psychology and I loved approaching it through that platform, but wanted to continue um, my indigenous studies and my indigenous kind of educational journey a bit further. And so I fell in love with uh, CSER, which is an acronym for the Center for the Study of Ethnicity and Race here at Columbia. Mm -hmm. And I ultimately ended up taking a taking up a minor in um, ethnicity and race studies for Native American and Indigenous studies. And then after realizing that I was in love in love, I upgraded that to a major. And so currently today, I'm double majoring in psychology and ethnicity and race studies with a focus on Native American and Indigenous studies. And I am so, so proud. And I am in love with my academic path. I have been able to explore multifaceted angles of the intersections of education, mental health, um, of indigeneity, of decolonial studies, and blend these in a way that really makes them realize that they are not separate separate problems, they are all intertwined. And I want to fight for better um, representation and accommodation at all levels um, and all intersections of those three fields. And uh, so my major, I decided on that just because I really wanted to help people. And I really particularly wanted to help and give back to pay it forward and pay it back to my yeah. community. My community is the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma and, and their ancestors. And what I really wanted to give back and make sure is that all indigenous communities, not just my own, but all indigenous communities had access representation and had someone on their side at the top tiers of academia. And so through being able to influence both health and policy aspects of, you know, research and of indigenous, you know, sovereignty, I am really happy with the choices I made. And that's kind of the short answer of how I came to decide to major in both. And uh, I am writing a thesis in the spring for ethnicity and race studies. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm incredibly proud of the work I've done. I'll be graduating with honors in Caesar Ethnicity and Race Studies. And uh, I, you know, I've loved every moment of everything. Okay, so I have two more questions before we wind down here for of you. Um, the first one is about, um, you know, what kind of advice would you give high schoolers? Um, yeah. you know, you've, um, you've seen a lot in these four years and then you said your high school experiences were challenging as well. What, what would you tell them today? How should they think about college? Yes, ma'am. I would say, don't think anything is impossible. Mm -hmm. I went through a lot of my college journey thinking that I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And that I wasn't good enough. And mm -hmm. you, if you, you know, hone back to the earlier part of our conversation, then Kat, you, you remember me saying that I put on my common app, I put NYU first because yep. I didn't believe I was good enough to get into Columbia. Right. And that's crazy because NYU is also a fantastic school and Columbia is a fantastic school as well. But I just remember carrying so much shame and self-consciousness about myself that I wasn't good enough to the point where when my father and I came to New York and we went on college visits to both NYU and Columbia, 
he insisted that I get a sweatshirt to both because he, in his heart, he knew I was going to end up in New York. So he said, we might as well get you a sweatshirt from both. And <laughs> so I had an NYU sweatshirt and I had a Columbia sweatshirt. And mm-hmm. going back to Oklahoma, where I, you know, my high school, where things were a bit rough for me at that time, I was, I would only wear my NYU sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. And I think back to actively feeling so ashamed of myself every time I would wear my Columbia sweatshirt that I got from the college, you know, visit was because the the girls who were once my best friends who had turned into my, you know, my, my bullies yeah. had told me they, I wore the Columbia sweatshirt one day and they said, I heard them talking behind my back and they were just saying she could never get in. She's not good enough for that. Like, mm-hmm. like she needs to take that off. Mm-hmm. And I felt such, such shame about internalizing that and thinking, you're right. I don't deserve to be wearing this sweatshirt. In fact, and, and they said the same thing about the NYU one as well. And so I remember for months and months, even though they were expensive and my dad had, you know, made sure I got them, to be proud of me, I wouldn't wear either sweatshirt, especially not the Columbia one, anywhere outside of my home. Because, you know, I was so, I believed it was impossible. And I truly, in my heart, believed it was impossible. And you don't, you don't need a team of bullies to make you feel like right. your dreams are impossible. This is just institutionalized by the systems that are in place that make students like me and make students that are have been disenfranchised, make black, brown, indigenous students of color, queer students, poor students, students from all backgrounds that have been marginalized feel like it is impossible. Not mm-hmm. just Columbia, but college in general is impossible. Mm-hmm. And I, through my work and through my activism and through everything that I have done, the one thing that I want to make sure students know today is that it is not impossible and that you can do it I did it. If you need someone to look up to, it can be me. If you need someone to help you, it can be me. I, I want to be an active representative, like a representation of possibility. And I have gone from a student who was so scared to wear her Columbia, you know, hoodie at in <laughs> high school. So her bullies would make fun of her to a student graduating with one of the highest GPAs in my class at Columbia mm-hmm. with two degrees, not one, um, who will be working in Congress through a fellowship for Native American rights this summer and mm-hmm. who, was just admitted, admit, who was just admitted to Oxford University's Master of Public Policy. And awesome. I think about all of these things and I wish I could show the scared girl that I was four years ago that this is possible too. Um, and I hope that anybody who is listening to your podcast and I hope that anybody who is scared about college, because uh, trust me, it is really scary. I know that it's going to be okay. And I want to c- call back to what my mom said to me on the steps when the morning sun was like glowing on the first day I got my Columbia ID and was about to move into my dorm is I wish I could look at everybody who's listening to this podcast with that same love and that same pride Mm -hmm. and let them know that this is going to be different and that you're going to be okay. And regardless of where you end up, regardless of what you do, 
it's a path that's incredibly scary, but I hope that people like me and people like Madeline and all those who work at Matriculate and people like all of those who work at Pro Project Rousseau and you, Venkat, I hope that your students can all learn to rely on us and see us as beacons of hope and you know, come to us for help and come to us for support. But that is my biggest piece of advice for any student today is that you can do it. And I know it's so cliche, but you genuinely can because coming from someone who believed they couldn't even wear a sweatshirt without being ridiculed and now has a plethora of opportunities ahead, I know the same is for you. Almost forgot to ask you about roads. Um... Yes. So, so tell us about that before we wind down here. Yes, I can tell you about that real quick. So this past fall, whew, I kind of paid homage back to my college application process of having no idea what I was doing um, mm -hmm. <laughs> because <laughs> I began my fellowship application process in which I applied. This started for months. So I started back this process in June of 2022 mm -hmm. and I began thinking about applying for the Marshall, the Mitchell, the Rhodes, and the Fulbright scholarships, mm -hmm. um, which provide, you know, a full, you know, graduate degree after your undergrad at either any institution you want or a UK institution um, or at Oxford University. Mm -hmm. And through that process was was insane. Like, I can't even describe how labor intensive, how time consuming that process was. But I, I live firmly by the idea that if you don't try, you'll never know. <laughs> absolutely, so absolutely. If, if you don't try, you'll never know. And a few of my advisors had, had told me, you should go for this, you should try for this. You know, you've, you've done a whole bunch of fellowships before I had won the Udall fellowship. Um, of course, now I have won the Udall Congressional Internship. I've done, mm -hmm. you know, a whole bunch of other things like that. And so they thought I would be a good candidate. And I looked at them like, no, 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 no way. And maybe this is a lick of doubt coming back from my younger self of being like, yeah. no, I know Rhodes people. I know Fulbright people. I'm not that. <laughs> like, trust <laughs> me, I am not that. Like, those are extraordinary people. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes back to my conversation about really not believing in myself and thinking like, I'm not good enough for that. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, once again, the, the self-consciousness was weighed down by the, if you never know, if you never try, you'll never know. Yeah. And so I spent my entire summer and my entire fall applying for the Mitchell, Marshall and Rhodes fellowships. Mm -hmm. I was named a finalist for the Rhodes and for the Marshall, which I'm incredibly proud of. Um, awesome. That took hundreds of hours of work. And uh, I went to interviews for both of them, which mm -hmm. were, you know, great. They were incredibly labor intensive and, you know, an entire day worth of interviewing um, of just panel, like, you know, the interviewers just grinding you about your future plans and everything. Mm -hmm. And once again, I'm still a student who's figuring out my life. I, yeah. I really had no idea what I was doing or where I wanted to go or, you know, what my future held. But being, you know, being interrogated by these panelists was quite the, was, was quite the adventure for me. Yeah. Um, ultimately, the awards went to um, four students, like two students for the Rhodes and two students for the Mitchell who are working in like technology and AI. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was very, that was very different from me requesting a PhD 
um, in experimental psychology so I could go to Oxford and research um, mm-hmm. cultural psychology and the relevance of indigeneity in cultural pr- and cultural practices in the treatment of mental health and the creation of mental um, health treatments. But mm-hmm. of course, that, was, <laughs> that one wasn't selected. And I look back and I was disappointed because I had put so much time and work in. But at the same time, I'm so, so, so proud of the, the, the countless work and effort and, you know, determination I put into those awards and those fellowships. I had grinded for hours, just like I did in co- for my college application process. Right. And, you know, worked really hard and kept a smile on my face and made a lot of sacrifices in what I could do and who I could hang out with because my time was very, very limited um, during yeah. those fall months, especially. But I look back and I remember being really sad and really disappointed that I didn't get them. Mm-hmm. But then I thought back to everything that has happened before and remembered, you know, all of my ancestors and all of their struggles. And that at the end of the day, I, if I had won, you know, the Rhodes or the Marshall, I would have been the first Native American to ever win the Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted that. I didn't want that for me. I wanted that for my community. I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted that for all of the people listening right now. I wanted, you know, I wanted to be that for people and I didn't get it, but that's okay because I also live firmly by the kind of belief that everything happens for a reason. And if it didn't happen, then there's another door that is going to open up and I'll find what I'm meant to do somewhere else. And I, th- I think it's really funny that I didn't ultimately get the roads. But a few months later, when I was applying for Kellett and Doctoro fellowships here at Columbia, I had to independently apply to Oxford. And this time I decided that, hmm, maybe a, you know, a PhD isn't for me. Let's go and try for the Masters of Public Policy, and which is one of the most competitive programs at Oxford, mm-hmm. and uh, especially for graduate school. And I got in <laughs> a few days before spring break, like about a week and a half ago, I learned that I got in. And so I think, I think everything is really funny in the cyclical way of everything happens for a reason. And, you know, ultimately maybe something was, you know, Rhodes and Marshall weren't my path and, you know, going to Oxford independently is, or, you know, Oxford isn't my, my, you know, my path at all. But at the end of the day, I'm incredibly proud of knowing that I tried my best and I put in everything and, uh, you know, living by the idea that if you don't try, you'll never know. Well, I tried and I tried really hard and I'm incredibly proud of myself regardless of the outcome. And I know that it's still a really big accomplishment. And, you know, I can always try again in the future if I want to, but who knows, who knows what my future holds and what I've got going on. And if I'll even have time to go to the UK to, you know, do a master's. But that being said, that is my master, or that is my Rhodes and Marshall kind of, you know, experience. Um, if I was to give advice for that, I would say start very, very early. I started in June and thought that I was ahead of the game. And I worked very sporadically throughout the summer on, you know, my applications, everything like that. Um, but I would say start even earlier than that because they take a long time, especially if you are a meticulous writer and you like to make sure that you have everything the best you can give. Mm-hmm. Um, start early, take your time and also be kind to yourself. During those, you know, when you're in those interviews and you're allowed for Marshall and Rhodes to, you're, you're put into a virtual room, right? 
mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Y- you sit there with everybody who is also a finalist for the roads which are mm-hmm. incredible wonderful people with great ideas and wonderful you know educational backgrounds and it's really easy to compare yourself and it's really easy to get down on yourself and say hey no like i'm not as good as that i'm not going to get it because they're they're that they're extraordinary We're jumping back to the right. idea that you have to be extraordinary to you know feel valid and be kind to yourself if you're doing these processes whether it be for college applications or for fellowship applications grad school applications you know law applications or you know medical school applications anything I want people to remember to be kind to yourself because it is so easy to compare yourself and feel like I'm not good enough or like oh whatever even tried or that it was a waste of time because it's not I I applied and I didn't get it I am not always successful and most of the times I am not successful in anything I apply to but in the few times that I am which is what you hear a lot of today that just reaffirms this idea that be kind to yourself and be patient because what what is meant to be will happen and what is not won't and it comes back to this idea that you know everything is possible i made it to finalist rounds which is insane um and so that was a possibility i would have never dreamt of a year ago and here we are today and who knows what the future holds but i know that everything is a possibility and i need to be kind to myself while i wait for that absolutely absolutely so grace this has been a fascinating conversation you're a super amazing person keep it up keep up the the tenacity the energy the passion and uh, i'm sure we'll talk more in the future love to keep in touch of course till then till then take care be safe and good luck yes thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute honor and i look forward to speaking with you in the future and let me know if there's anything i can do for either you or your students and i'm always happy and my door is always open absolutely thank you so much chris take care thank you bye bye hi again hope you enjoyed our podcast with grace fox on her undergraduate experiences at columbia university Grace's story is one of purpose and activism. Her years at Columbia helped build her self-confidence and esteem. She is the 2023 Rhodes Scholar finalist. She championed indigenous causes, social justice, educational equity, and mental health services. Grace also found time to help indigenous as well as matriculate students with their college process. I hope Grace's undergraduate experience inspires you as you explore Columbia University for your own undergraduate journey. For your questions or comments on this podcast, please email podcast@almamatters.io. Thank you all so much for listening to our podcast today. Transcripts for this podcast and previous podcasts are on almamatters.io. forward slash podcasts to stay connected with us subscribe to apple podcasts google podcasts or spotify or visit anchor.fm forward slash alma matters to check us out till we meet again take care and be safe thank you
college matters. Alma, Alma matters. matters.